And we're back. Acts chapter 6. You can open there. We're continuing our study series through the book of Acts. As I've said several times already, we're studying this book because we want to relive it. And when we get to the end of uh, chapter 7, I'll make some more comments on that as to what I mean by wanting to relive the book of Acts. It's not that what happened in the book of Acts has stopped happening or has unhappened, but that we want it to happen in us. It's been happening all over the world in believers throughout every age. We just want it to happen in and through us in our area of the world at this time. And so what's amazing about the book of Acts is there are so many powerful things that happen. And those powerful things that happen come at an incredible personal price to those whom they happen through. And that's where counting the cost comes in. It's amazing to hear about that upper room experience in Acts chapter 2 and it's amazing to hear about the people being healed and the people being added to the church. It's not so amazing when we read tonight's story about the first Christian martyr and why it was he was killed. What he was doing that got him in so much trouble. And if by the end of chapter 6 and 7 we want to keep studying because we want to relive it, then we'll keep going. Otherwise, we'll change the subject because it's a big uh, price to pay to relive this book. All right, so uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 1, you have a bit of an outline there for you. Chapter 6 introduces us to Stephen. Stephen is one of the seven deacons chosen by the church to oversee the equitable distribution of food. Remember, the early church had everything in common, and so one of the things that they had in common was food. Everybody brought the little that they had, and it was distributed among uh, all the church as they had need. So Stephen was one of the seven deacons chosen to distribute this food, And the Bible tells us, and we'll read it in a moment, that he was a man full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen performed great signs and wonders among the people. But some members of the synagogue began to argue with him and they could not uh, stand up against his wisdom. Uh, They couldn't stand against the spirit by whom he spoke. That is the Holy Spirit of God. And so they secretly induced men to say that Stephen spoke blasphemies against Moses and against God and these false accusations led to Stephen's arrest and trial before the Sanhedrin. So let's pick up now in chapter 6 verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Who were the Hellenists? The Hellenists were 
the Greeks. And so uh, the Greeks were complaining that their widows were getting overlooked and that it was going or the food was going rather to uh, the Jewish widows first. And so they wanted fair distribution. Verse 2 tells us that the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Everybody was pleased with this. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I think this is pretty fascinating. As the church grew, the need grew. And as the need grew, people were appointed to positions of leadership and positions of service within the church so that the apostles could continue to devote themselves to prayer and to the preaching of the word. And what's amazing is that these servants, uh, they weren't second-class citizens. They weren't just people that were relegated to the corner or relegated to behind the scenes. Uh, the Bible takes care to say that these people, particularly Stephen, were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, of course, you need to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit to preach the Word of God. Uh, but you also need to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, to serve the people of God. It's important. We wouldn't do this and couldn't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so no role in the kingdom of God, in the church, in the body of Christ is any less important. But there are indeed particular roles. And the apostles felt that the role of serving tables and distributing food... Uh, was not fitting to them, but it was fitting to others. And so we see that same type of thing played out in our church today. And I think it's a great system. And I think it's important that when we go into these things, we go into them knowing that we're serving the body of Christ and that we need to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit to do it. So verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power. So, these are some incredible descriptions of a regular, ordinary guy named Stephen. He was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, and full of power. I'd love for people to say that about me. I'm sure you'd love for them to say it about you. What else was Stephen doing? Who else was he? Well, verse 8 tells us that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. 
So wonders and signs were not just limited to the apostles, to the big 12, but they were available to absolutely every believer. All the believer had to do was be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power. Well, those are free gifts. And God gives liberally to all who ask. So we can have the very same. Verse 9 says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the uh, Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. They argued with him. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't withstand it. They thought they could. They started to dispute with him, but as the dispute went on, they realized that they could not withstand his wisdom, a wisdom that was not his own but was from the Holy Spirit. So what did they have to do? If they were going to... uh, if they were going to withstand him, if they were going to uh, get him, well, they were going to have to resort to uh, fighting dirty. And that's exactly what they did. Verse 11 tells us, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, was Stephen speaking lies? No. Stephen was quoting Jesus. Jesus did say when he was walking in front of the temple with his disciples, you see this place? There's a day coming. When not one stone will be left upon another, but all will be destroyed, all will be torn down. Jesus did come to change the customs of Moses. He said on the, uh, during the Last Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Of course Jesus came to do that. He came to make the law of God obsolete, to make way for a better covenant. And so when... Stephen said these things, it angered that group of people we read about, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, those from uh, Cilicia and Asia. They didn't like it. And so in order to get Stephen, they had to bring false charges against him. What were the false charges? The false charges were the charges of blasphemy. Stephen was indeed saying what Jesus said, that the temple would be destroyed, and it would be shortly after this. 
It was true that Jesus was going to rearrange and bring a new covenant. But these things were not blasphemies. And so that was the false charge. And so in his speech now, and I'll just give the preamble there in the notes. You can go back to paragraph two. In his speech, Stephen compares Jesus to Moses by emphasizing that both were rejected by their own people on their first visit. And he also highlights the similarities between the two, Jesus and Moses, in terms of their miraculous deeds and their role as mediators between God and his people. Stephen is going to argue here in chapter 7 that Jesus is like Moses, but greater. Greater than Moses because he is the righteous one whom Israel betrayed and murdered. So let's continue on now. Let's read Stephen's speech, and this is a powerful speech. I would say that this speech... Um, is as powerful as Peter's first sermon back in Acts chapter 2. This speech was given by a regular, ordinary follower of Jesus Christ. He was not an apostle. He wasn't handpicked by Jesus he wasn't, you know, made a promise like you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. No, it's just it's just Stephen. It's just ordinary Stephen. Just like you and me, just a regular, ordinary, everyday person who followed Jesus. And when he was accused of blasphemy and brought before the courts, he opened his mouth and he spoke a powerful word. Let's read what he spoke. Verse 7, chapter 1, And the high priest said, Are these things so? Did you say this? Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after Abraham's father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So Stephen is saying, Listen, guys, we're all descendants of Abraham here. Verse 5. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. And he's talking about their time in Egypt and slavery for 400 years. He's leading up to Moses now, because remember, he's accused of speaking blasphemies against Moses and against the law. And so he's, he's making his case now, his argument, that he gets this thing. He gets where he came from, that he came as a descendant of Abraham through Moses. Verse 7, But I will judge the nations that they serve, says God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place, in Israel, in this land. 
where they were now living, where all this story was taking place. In verse 8, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of the 12 patriarchs. And the 12 patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him the ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Isn't this amazing? God's divine providence is in action. Stephen's giving an incredible history lesson here. In verse 11, Now there came a famine throughout all of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers, meaning his 12 sons, Jacob's 12 sons, the patriarchs, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. He says he sent out our fathers on their, on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So what's amazing here is I'm, I'm seeing this number, 75 people. 75 people and from them, just a few generations of living in Egypt from them came a number so great that the Pharaoh who arose after, who knew not Joseph, was so scared that, that all those Hebrews living in, Jews, uh, in, in Egypt were going, to, uh, were going to get together and say, hey, we outnumber these Egyptians. Let's take over this place. And so that's why, of course, he enslaved the people of, well, the Hebrew people at that time. I guess they were, they, you could still call them the, the people of Israel and that they were the sons of Jacob, later renamed Israel, but they didn't have a land yet. Anyways, I digress. Verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. And at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in the sight of God. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them was being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. 
Why do you do wrong to each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And now, when 40 years had passed, so Moses is 80 years old at this point, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. And the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And having heard their groaning, I have come down to deliver them. And now I come, uh, sorry, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. So let's just take a moment to pause here. What's Stephen doing? Well, he's giving an incredible synopsis of all the writings of Moses. He's basically just recounted the book of Genesis and Exodus here. I mean, again, Stephen's an everyday, ordinary guy. He may have some education. Um, you know, he may be able to read, but he's just like you and me, and he knows his history. He knows this stuff. And so when he's put on trial here for blaspheming Moses and the law, he's, he's recounting everything he knows. He's saying, guys, if you think I'm blaspheming Moses, you're wrong. Look at all that I know about him and believe to be true about him. Verse 35, then, or sorry, this Moses who they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles and he gave them to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, speaking of Moses, but they thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will, be God, who will go before us. And as for this Moses, this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. This is when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. Verse 41, And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idol, and they were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O Israel? You took the tent of Moloch, the star of your god Rephan, and the images you made to worship and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Getting close. Verse 44. 
Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. So now he's, he's kind of done giving his understanding and belief about Moses. Saying that there's no, you know, proving that there's no blasphemies in what he says about Moses. Now he's going to turn his attention to the covenant and the furnishings of the temple and how it's made. Our fathers, in turn, brought it to Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked him to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it wasn't David, rather Solomon, who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in in houses made by hands, as the prophet said. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place for my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Now Peter, or not Peter, now Stephen is going to lay charges against his accusers. You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. Wow, you want to talk about boldness. Now when they, the Sanhedrin, heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed him together, or sorry, rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 7 records Stephen's powerful defense of his faith in Jesus Christ before the court, before the Sanhedrin. This powerful defense was not intended to be a legal defense designed to get him released. If that's what he was doing, he obviously did a poor job because it didn't work. He didn't get released. Stephen answers their charges, but he does it by means of an indictment against the entire nation of Israel and its leaders. 
And so we read the story that he recounts, the story of Abraham to Moses, emphasizing how God had been with them throughout their journey. And he points out how Israel repeatedly rejected God's messengers and prophets, including Jesus Christ himself, who they crucified. And this enraged Stephen's accusers to the point where they stoned him to death. Stephen is the first martyr of the Christian church, at least the first one recorded in the book of Acts, and there would be many to come. We know this because when they were stoning Stephen, they worked up such a sweat that they had to take their outer cloaks off. And when they took them off, they laid them at the feet of a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who we know became the Apostle Paul. He was an incredible persecutor of the church. Many people died at the hands of Paul's persecution or Saul's persecution. I was thinking about this the other day based on something I had read. It's incredible to think that the Apostle Paul, when he died and went to heaven, he was greeted by people like Stephen and others who were killed at his hand. It's fascinating to think of the redeeming power of our Savior, that no one is too far gone that all one has to truly do is repent and believe and to keep believing. And God will radically transform us as we continue to believe him. But what a powerful thought. Saul didn't know who he would become when he was an eyewitness to Stephen's martyrdom. In fact, Saul himself was indicted by Stephen's remarks because Saul in his, or sorry, Paul rather, in his writings says that he was a Jew of Jews and all of the stuff that he's been accused of here, he admits to in his letters. Stephen's martyrdom is a powerful example of how we should live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Stephen is not a one-off. There were hundreds, thousands, ultimately millions of people who have given their life for the cause of Jesus Christ, who would not renounce their faith, who would not say, Caesar is Lord, who would not renounce Jesus as their Savior. Stephen was a man full of faith and courage who boldly proclaimed his beliefs in the face of persecution and death. It's easy to proclaim our beliefs in the face, um, or it's, put it this way, it's easy to proclaim our faith where we're inside the confines of our church building, and when we're with people of like faith, it's so easy to do that. It's, it's important to do that. It's significant and meaningful and we must practice that we must gather together to proclaim our faith boldly in this place and in our homes so that when the opportunity arises and it will to proclaim those things and give an account of those things 
to the outsider, we have practice. We know what we're doing. And we have boldness and confidence to open our mouth and let the Holy Spirit fill it. And so Stephen, this man of faith and courage, boldly proclaimed his beliefs even in the face of persecution and death. His godly character was evident in his life, in his life rather, which enabled him to be a courageous witness for Jesus, no matter what the results were. Peter and John basically preached the same sermon when they were before the Sanhedrin and they were released. That was God's will for them. Peter and John and all the other apostles eventually died a martyr's death, but it wasn't their time. But just as Ananias and Sapphira were the first to be punished, uh, or sorry, to be disciplined by God for their disobedience and for their sin, a discipline that led to death, so here Stephen is the first to be persecuted unto death for faith in Jesus Christ. Three things quickly that we can learn from Stephen's life. First, God does extraordinary work through those who are filled with his spirit. And that's absolutely every one of us tonight. Now we might do things to a different scale, but everything that we do is extraordinary because we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so you can be an everyday, ordinary person, just like Stephen, and do incredible things because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is we should desire to imitate the bold witness of Stephen and all those who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. As I was walking here tonight, I was contemplating this point I remember as a young boy being told about the martyrs and how people did have to give their life for their faith. And I remember as a boy asking myself, would I be willing to do that? And of course, at that time, my answer was, well, no, I'll just pretend to renounce my faith, but I won't really. Well, that's, of course just a young boy thinking that, but as I was walking here tonight and after the week I've had and the day I've had and the persecution that I've come under and my children have come under, you know, I've had to ask myself, am I willing to go to the bitter end with this? Would I be willing to? If it cost me that, would I do it? And my answer was absolutely yes, 100%. 100%, I could not renounce my Jesus, my Savior, the one who died to save me and set me free. And third, we should ask God to give us godly character so that we can be courageous witnesses for Jesus no matter what challenges we face. As I said at the beginning of our time together tonight, reliving the book of Acts will come with great power, but it will also come with incredible persecution. And one does not exist exclusive from the other. You cannot live and move and have your being in Jesus Christ. You cannot be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and not attract persecution. 
It just will happen. Stephen was not a provocateur. Stephen was not out there, you know, spouting conspiracy theories. The Bible tells us that he was full of faith and full of the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that he was full of grace and power and he was doing great wonders and signs. And he was doing them among the people. But I want you to know tonight that great signs and wonders will not produce favor for us. It won't make everyone love us. Most people will be neutral. But there will be a, there will be a, a group, a delegation, and here we see that. In Stephen's story, it was the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and the people from Cilicia and Asia. They didn't like that Stephen was doing what he was doing, saying what he was saying. And so they incited, they induced the apathetic people who didn't really care. Maybe they bribed them. Maybe they promised them something. And they said, make sure you go to the... To the to the council, to the Sanhedrin, and accuse Stephen of these words. I bet those people didn't even know what they were saying. But they went and they recited it to the people uh, who, who persecute or prosecuted these um, accusations. And they believed them. And so he was falsely charged. And when he was brought up on these charges... There was one of two outcomes. He was either going to be let go or he was going to be persecuted. He was going to be stoned. Ultimately, he was going to have to give his life for his faith. He was willing to do that. And so I want to relive this book. I really do. But I, I am not naive to think that it won't come with incredible persecution. And it won't come at great personal expense. I can't drag you along with me. I don't want to. It's not fair. You have to make that choice for yourself, but I've made it. I've made my choice. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to attract undue attention, but I just know based on Stephen's story, and I don't consider myself a Stephen, but I know based on his story that anybody who um, has great grace and power and who is full of faith and who is full of uh, the Holy Spirit, they're going to attract Satan's attention. Satan's going to be drawn to it and he is going to attack. He does not like it and that's why we need to be strong. We need to hold one another up in prayer. We need to be filled up with this word 